Hey everybody, and welcome to another edition of Concert Conversations brought to you by the beautiful Waterbury Palace in Waterbury, Connecticut, and our great sponsor, Ion Bank. Today, I, I really feel that we have a special show because we talk a lot about musicians and artists and how important they are to bringing enjoyment and entertainment to us, but you know what, behind the scenes, is the most important part because if we didn't have people that sometimes would revile like uh, like agents etc and if we didn't have marketing people and we didn't have people who support us by bringing us and taking chances on us uh, in major venues uh, across this country then uh, you know there would be no music and today we have a very very special guest the CEO of the Palace Theater in Waterbury, Frank Tavera. Frank, how are you doing? Great, Tom. Thank you very much. I appreciate the, um, the lovely introduction. Uh, so um, it, it's good to be on with you this morning. Well, you know, um, you have, have accomplished so much, and, and I am an eyewitness. You know, uh, as you know, I, I played for you folks, uh, I don't know, several weeks back in the foyer, and I have to tell you that half of me was playing, and the other half of me was going, holy mackerel, look at this room. And then I happened to see a picture on, on, on site. Um, uh, I think they were doing an article about you, and it showed the old Waterbury uh, Theater Palace before you got involved and before you uh, renovated it. And it was a mess. Yep. <laughs> I mean, you... Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I was thinking I was in that same room and the place looked like it was falling down. Before before we get into your accomplishments, though, it struck me when I did my research on you that, you know, in this time where everyone is doubting, you know, we can't let people in and, you know, there are people from other countries. It's almost like our country seems to be closing up a little bit. Uh, I read about your parents, and I, I just wanted to talk about them a little bit. Can you just give us some insight on your parents? Absolutely. I would say I, I am the fortunate um, uh, you know, product of two um, immigrants to this country from you know, the old country, um, Italy. Uh, so I am my, me and my brothers and my sister were first generation. Uh, and so we had the luxury, Tom, of kind of witnessing, you know, the ch challenges that uh, my parents faced as well as my grandparents here for the first time in a country where uh, they were, uh, I would say, for the most part, welcomed into, in, into the environment. But challenges faced were a language barrier that they, you know, um, had to overcome a, a culture shock, which is quite different from um, where they grew up. Up in in, um, in in Sardinia, we're one of we're one of the um, people from the island of Sardinia. Uh, so it was interesting to see, and I think what it did for me, my brothers and my sister, was really kind of build that sense of family and community because they had each other and they had to build off each other. And I've tried to bring a lot of that into the way I deal with people and the community and wherever I work. So um, it it was a really nice smooth transition but it it was it was a great upbringing i couldn't be happier prouder of my parents and what you know and actually what they accomplished so your dad was a mason 
He was a Mason. Yes, he was, um, you know, again, a classic Italian story. He came to the country. Um, his, his father was here prior to him, as well as his uncle. Um, they, you know, they were skilled craftsmen. And so they were Mason, uh, Masons by trade. They did great level of stonework um, down in the Greenwich area is where they originated. Um, they moved their way up to Bristol, Connecticut, which we still live in Bristol, Connecticut. My mom still lives in the original home that my grandfather had built, um, right next door to the home that my uncle, my great uncle had built out of stone, out of brick. I mean, it is, so that's how they got started. And it, it evolved into from masonry to plaster work to tile work. And that's where I kind of got my, um, uh, my feet wet working with the family was in the tile business. So. Yeah. You were in, you were in the business. I was in the business right out of school, um, out of college. Um, I, my, I had visions of other opportunities, and my dad said, uh, no, we're opening up a tile store. You're going to take the lead because you're a college graduate now, you know, smart kid that I was. Um, and so it was my responsibility to build a storefront, build a customer base, market it, um, and really build it from the ground up because he and my brother were responsible for the installation. They were the production side, you know, and I was the retail and the commerce side. Well, that obviously, I'm going to say that was the foundation. Sorry about that. That no pun <laughs> no intended. Pun. I guess I guess it was a ground floor uh, opportunity. Never mind. I I just yeah. keep on going. So I'm with you. So so from there, uh, you started off there, and obviously didn't end up in you know finishing that business. So how did it uh, how did it come to be where you are today? So I, I didn't have to blame a lot of family people in my life for, um, for where I am today. And um, again, my father for kind of putting me in the path of, you know, the, the tile store, which is a wonderful experience. I do really, in fact, miss um, working. My dad has since passed as well as one of my brothers. But, um, you know, we all worked really well together. And I love that aspect of it. But um, after about nine and a half years of it, I realized that that wasn't what I wanted to do. And um, another family member at that point, being my wife, was working at the Bushnell at the um, um, in Hartford. Mm -hmm. And and they were in search of someone to take over, um, uh, actually start a group sales department because Phantom of the Opera was coming into um, the Bushnell in 1994, I believe. And they needed someone to um, go out. Um, build some excitement about Phantom, someone who was, I guess, a personable who could, um, you know, sell some tickets. And that was my task was to sell group sales tickets for Phantom of the Opera um, in 1994. And I always jokingly say, Tom, from tile to tickets, that's, you know, that was my journey. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> you, oh, good. We got the same sense of humor. That's not, yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> that's sadly. not good for anybody. Frank, my wife yeah. will tell you. <laughs> so you've been married for 30 plus years. 32 years yes man that's uh yeah yeah i've been married 45 so i'm a little old yeah we, we both deserve gold watches or something like yeah that, well but... gold watches are, well i i would say something else but sometimes my yeah. wife listens to these two and yeah you know, that's i don't want to get in trouble good for you good for you yeah, no, i've been married for um 32 plus years have three um wonderful children um and you know um I don't want to timestamp this interview, but within the next week, week and a half, um, I will um, likely be a grandfather, which is even more exciting. Um, the next, the next phase is um, pretty exciting stuff. So. Wow, our our lives are similar. I have three, and uh, am going to be a grandfather for the first oh. time as well. Look so. at us. Very, yeah, very uh, parallel parallel work. That's awesome. Very, very exciting uh, lives. Yeah, that that's great. So, 
going to the palace now this when i look at that picture i am i'm just i'm just awestruck on the change and i understand it, uh, it was something like a 30 million dollar project it was a 30 million dollar restoration renovation and expansion which Again, when you look at the building and when you consider the fact, Tom, um, in 1922, 100 years ago, which is because we're celebrating our 100-year anniversary coming up, right. they built that building for $1 million. So they built it for $1 million in 1922, 100 years later, just to restore it, just to repair it and bring it into a semblance of a functioning space, they spent over $30 million to do so. So, um, you know, the... Good news is when the funding was available from the state, and fortunately at that point the state did have those resources, they looked at that space and said, let's do it and do it appropriately. Let's expand the stage house so we can accommodate the largest scale productions that are going, going to be on the road in the future. Let's do the cosmetic work that needs to be done so that it actually kind of restores and celebrates the building's history because it is, you know, such a rich history, but also architecturally it's a phenomenon. And with no disrespect to theaters in New York or on Broadway, I would say that we, you know, beat them um, just on visuals um, every single time. Because in New York, they paint over all the detail and make it all white and kind of generic so it doesn't compete with the show. For us, sometimes I think the show is, um, the building is the show itself and the um, acts are kind of like the um, secondary part of the entertainment sometimes. Yeah, you, so. you, you definitely got a sign off from me because like I say, I was even playing and I felt... Uh... I felt entertained by being in there. I was I was telling uh, I was telling Sherry that I uh, I would love to record in that place because the echo is so real in there. It's so beautiful. If if folks if you haven't seen the palace, just <laughs> if nothing else, go in and loiter, <laughs> and, and Frank will have to chase you out. But <laughs> say say I sent you any anyway. Yeah, yeah. So we so, may just we may discourage loitering, but um, come in for a tour. We're more than happy to give you a guided tour. <laughs> well, you know, Frank, being being from a sales marketing background myself. I know that, you know, it always sounds, you know, somewhat glamorous and, and easy, and it never is. And my understanding is you really had to convince the local folks about this endeavor. Is that correct? That is absolutely 100% correct, Tom. And to use, you know, I um, can't help but use my uh, theatrical, you know, uh, background, but I was, you know, Robert Preston from The Music Man. I was a snake oil salesman coming to town trying to sell the vision of a restored palace theater, which I think people were, um, many people were excited about, but there were those who were skeptical. Um, and the, pr the promise that not only would we reopen our doors, but we would bring high quality entertainment. Um, into downtown Waterbury. And, you know, Waterbury, I love the community. It is so deep and rich and people are so invested in it. But sometimes I think they're also the their biggest skeptics um, as well. So for me to come in and say, we're going to bring in a Tony Bennett, we're going to bring in a Broadway production and Phantom of the Opera will someday perform on that Waterbury Palace stage. It was as if I was talking in tongues or had three heads and they thought <laughs> I was this, yeah, this fast talking guy from Bristol who's coming in to sell a bill of goods. Um, but I truly believe that the building itself 
lent itself to that level of quality of production. The community could, in fact, support it. Um, and we delivered. So it was it was a challenge. It was probably my biggest sales job ever um, was the first two years of um, kind of getting people excited, engaged, um, and to believe the fact that this building could, in fact, come to fruition. Is it is it because and and I I actually worked in Waterbury for about five years. Uh, I was at uh, the old uh, WTXX uh, television building. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know the kind of a boat shaped building across from uh, yes uh, broadcast was center. Was that called broad, broadcast center or something like yes, that? Yes, I think it, I think it was. <laughs> and I, you know, so I got to know the town, and I, I you know, the town does have its issues. Uh, probably still does. I mean, this was decades ago, but mm-hmm. is that some of the issue, just the fact that it is in Waterbury that uh, gave you that problem? Well, you know, I wouldn't say it's because it was in Waterbury. I think it was the um, a little bit more of a mentality where there had been so many stops and starts to the theater's re-emergence. Um, and there, you know, there was a lot of plans that were put into place, but funding sometimes never followed. Um, and I think sometimes there was also... Um, selfish plans being uh, addressed. People had a vision for the space which was, you know, going to, um, um, you know, satisfy perhaps their own personal whim, but not the whim of the community or be sustainable in the, in the long run. Um, um, so I think to that degree, um, there was some concerns about whether in fact, you know, what I was saying um, was in fact going to hold true. And, and so I think it was less about the community, uh, less about the, um, you know, the geography and the location, but more so about the mentality where are they, are we in fact going to deliver this time and, or is this some an empty promise being made? But so we over, we, we have overcome that 18 to 20 years later, we have overcome that. Fortunately. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, first of all, it's a beautiful space, but also the area around it, uh, is very nice. Um, I, I, uh, I, I know that, you know, people are always concerned about area around where they're going to be. There's great parking. Um, the, the area itself is, is really nice. And I, I want to talk a little bit about the future. And before I do that, I want to uh, let everybody know about our great sponsor, Ion Bank. Uh, mm-hmm. We are so thrilled about uh, having them on board. And uh, we'll be right back. Business owners know you have to take control of your cash flow to grow your business. Ion Bank has a full range of cash management tools to help you save time, work more efficiently, and prevent fraud. It's never been quicker or easier to take control of your cash flow so your business can take off. Learn more about Ion Bank's cash management tools at ionbank.com, member FDIC. We are back with Concert Conversations and our very special guest, the CEO of the Palace Theater in Waterbury, Frank Tavera. And f- we were just talking about the past and how this theater got to be the, mo- the most beautiful theater I, I have seen, uh, thanks to Frank and the folks uh, in Waterbury. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit, Frank, about the future, given the situation that you know is world changing this whole covid thing and uh getting acts in and getting people in seats and that kind of thing what what uh what are you doing these days and how do you see the future 
Oh, Tom, that is a wonderful question, which continues to change on a day-to-day basis, just because, you know, again, I look back 16 months ago when we had to, unfortunately, and, you know, the world came to a screeching halt and we had to shut our doors. Yeah. You know, had you asked me that um, March of 2020, I would have had a different response. Um, had you asked me this two weeks ago, I might have a different response because mm-hmm. unfortunately what we are seeing, um, you know, for the future is one that is still going to be challenged by this uh, you know, pandemic um, with, I hate to say, no, it appears to be no end in sight. I, I not to get in too deep into this, but just as of this morning, I saw that um, New York may be requiring um, um, patron goers to have vaccines. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so that is going to be that is not something we did not anticipate, you know, I would say a month ago because we were under the impression that right. um, things were subsiding. People may or may not have to wear masks, but um, proof of vaccination is a whole different level of um, expectation. So um, from a future perspective, uh, you know, we were in, we were very optimistic that, you know, in October, we're op- reopening our doors in, at 100 percent capacity, um, inviting people back in and providing that level of quality of experience that we provided, um, you know, for decades prior to um, right now. I'm just I become a little bit more concerned on a day to day basis that we will be able to reopen our doors. We will be able to um, provide the entertainment. But the question is, will the audiences want to return in an environment that perhaps they don't feel safe um, um, in? And that's that's kind of the great unknown. The patron patronage is a really kind of that moving target for us right now as we look to uh, move forward. So not the best answer I could give you, but it's probably the most real one I can provide. Well, I, I just from my experience, uh, I think you're exactly right. You know, I, I interview some pretty darn famous musicians who you know, probably in the top uh, two, three percent of the industry. And even they are saying, you know, they're nervous about uh, touring, number one. And they're also nervous about filling seats and they're nervous about the attitude that they're going to uh, encounter from people. I I myself had uh, a tour set up in, of all places, China. And of course, that's... uh, (laughs) <laughs> that went away twice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I now I'm even thinking uh, I, I, I don't want to uh, uh, take the chance of, you know, ending up ending up in Beijing. You know, I can't help but wonder what your parents would think about people who are complaining about the uh, being uncomfortable wearing masks after all they went through. Uh, oh, Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, it is it is definitely a different time and a different place, uh, you know, in, in this world. And I think the challenge is that, you know, my parents specifically, I will speak to no other, you know, immigration story except for um, that of my parents, is the fact that there was not an easy task for them, but there were obligations and things that they had to comply with in order for them to kind of come into this country. Those were the requirements. It wasn't questionable. It wasn't an option to, you know, get your vaccination papers or to present the right documentation. Um, it was if you wanted to make that leap, if you were going to become an immigrant into this country, there were expectations that needed to be met. And unfortunately, today, I think we are at the point where um, things of that nature are more appear uh, would be appear to be more discretionary that, you know, not not everybody has to do it. And it's unfortunate because this will with our industry, Tom, where we expect 
people to gather together in person, sitting next to each other, sitting next to complete strangers. That's the environment that we are, you and I both work in. Um, yeah. If our, that is that is the reality of our, um, our of our business. If this continues on, this could in fact cripple you know live entertainment um, for an extended period of time, more so than it already has, which really you know creates some pause. And I don't want to be um, the negative guy because that is not my nature at all. But I have to be the realist sometimes to say this could impact us as we're moving forward. And it's unfortunate um, that is that is come to this degree of kind of um, uncertainty about moving forward. Well, you know. <laughs> It's realism. It's not political. It's simply this. And I say this as an artist, that if you want to see entertainment, you have to take the responsibility yourself of making uh, the place safe. So people, you know, wear a mask, get get the shot if you can, um, because it's all going to help us all be safe and being safe uh is going to help this industry, the entertainment industry. Yeah, it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. And again, I can't, I can't help but um, you know, always comment on the fact that you know our responsibility is to gather people in mass. We need people in not mask, but in mass. Um, you know, it, it, as far as because we need those individuals um, to feel comfortable coming together and, yeah. and, and, and experiencing something and then actually sharing that level of emotion, whether it's cheer, joy, tears, whatever the case may be um, in that environment. And you take that away from people, you, in which we have taken away for the last 60 months. Um, it, you know, it, it's going to have a, you know, a negative impact on our psyche, but more so on, you know, on, on the industry. Um, as well for because there's performers like yourself who unable to perform you know it's as if you probably lost an arm or something you know it's part of your it, it's who you are it's your dna so it's um it's going to really be devastating if this continues yeah on. actually for me frank my wife just wants me out of the house <laughs> <laughs> well, well then she has her own motivation so that works too so. <laughs> yeah that's the that's the way it is so so on the on the lighter side uh what uh, you know, what, uh, I, I guess, long-term plans or short, I don't know, long-term, short-term plans. Do you have some uh, acts that are ready to go and that you're, you got high hopes for? Oh, absolutely. I mean, from the from the perspective of the intention, it was that we were going to reopen our doors in the fall. Always was. And, and, and again, we have to move forward. We have some great productions already slated for, which are selling tickets, um, already selling tickets to. And at this point, people are responding positively. Again, that is um, prior to, you know, this this conversation, you know, in addition to our Broadway stuff, which is always um, um, exciting and entertaining from a concert perspective. I, you know, one of the shows that we are um, really excited about bringing back because it was scheduled to um, take place during the year of um, COVID, which we shut down, was um, the performance of David Foster. He's returning back into the theater in mm. October. Mm. Um, he's. He's sold really well. He's just a master musician. Has brought oh, yeah. so many people, so brought so many people to stardom and fame, um, and so much songs and popularity. Oh. Um, so, yeah, so he's he's coming back to the theater, and tickets are on sale for him. We're doing a couple um, really classic acts because we thought to celebrate our hundred year anniversary. And I'll go, although these bands don't represent the decade, but more so represent, I mean, the um, the century, but more so represent a really important place in time for the palace theater was we had an incredibly rich, rich rock history in our building where yeah, most of those large 
act performers in the late late 60s, 70s, early 80s. They all played at the Palace Theater. Um, and so we're excited that two of them, um, they're going to be um, returning to the theater. And one of them group is, is America. And they're going to be playing in, um, in October as well, I believe, October 29th. Um, we also have Blue Oyster Cult coming in November. That's both great. of those bands. Both of those bands played back in their heyday in the Palace Theater when the Palace Theater was the only place, the real only place in Connecticut where you can see a real a classic concert. So we identified those as bands that we want to bring back because it celebrates our history and our heritage, um, recognizes them for being still on the road and still performing. So it's, um, you know, we're moving forward in that direction, and I'm hopeful that even with whatever restrictions are put into place, whether whether it be masking, et cetera, um, that does not prevent people from coming out to just kind of see these really quality entertainers. Well, you know, those are two iconic bands. They are not your, like sometimes you see a theater, they might bring in, you know, one hit, one hit wonder, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. But Blue Oyster Cult was uh, a band that actually cut, territory for other bands so they mm -hmm. and america same thing same kind of thing uh, so wow that's those are two very impressive things uh remind us how we can get tickets yep. a, a, a palace theater ct.org is our website and all of the events that i just listed would be um, um noted on the website i believe everything goes officially on sale as of next week i believe it's next wednesday um, but people can go online to get information ticket pricing and dates so again palace theater ct.org um, the box office is open monday through thursday at this point and that phone number is 203-346-2000 operators standing by um, <laughs> i like that you can tell you're <laughs> yeah. in sales, Frank. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, so, so yeah, so that, those are the easiest ways to get that, you know, ticket information um, and purchase tickets. And again, I would tell you, we've done some advanced sales. People are responding positively, so we're excited about that. And there's one thing, um, Tom, that I thought, I, you know, just I wanted to reference um, is that, again, we're celebrating our 100-year anniversary, our, the rich history that we had in so many kind of different um, areas, but in October, I believe we narrowed down the date on October 14th, we're going to be doing kind of a, a I don't want to say a retrospective, but we're going to be celebrating and highlighting Jimmy Coplick of Coplick and Finkel, which sure. most people in Connecticut are familiar with, because um, they were the leaders back in the day of providing quality entertainment across the state. And they had put more and more shows in the Palace Theater back in the 70s, late 60s, 70s, and early 80s. Always it was Shelley and, um, you know, it was Coplick and Finkel who were the promoters of, um, of, of name of all those acts. So we're going to be doing a kind of, um, we're going to call it a rock exhibit. We're going to celebrate some of our history. We're going to showcase some of the memorabilia of those artists and performers who played on the palace stage, whether with um, posters, ticket stubs, concert t-shirts, etc. But we're also going to have a little Q&A period with Jim Coppock himself on the stage so he can talk about um, kind of his experiences, his memories of those performers that took place on the palace stage back in its heyday and his part of kind of bringing that rich history um, in being, you know, of, of the palace kind of fruition. So that's an exciting um, special project for us. Um, and there'll be musical entertainment as part of that um, 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 e evening as well. We're working with a band called Dizzy Fish, who's going to feature some of the songs that were presented back in their day um, in a really kind of strong cover band um, appeal, but really kind of to lend some context and con um, content to the story um, of our 
kind of rock and roll history from the 60s and the 70s. Yeah, and you do have a strong, strong history. That's great that you're highlighting folks like, you know, Coplick and Finkel that uh, had such an impact on uh, the entertainment industry here in Connecticut. And, and Jimmy still does. Jim Coplick still is incredibly deep, deeply invested in the arts community, whether that is presenting at his own venues across the state. Um, and he, he has just been a wonderful guy to work with. He he appreciates his history and his legacy at the Palace Theater. So it's, you know, it's really nice to recognize him and give him a platform on our space um, to acknowledge all, you know, you know, what he has done for our building, but also for the state, because most people remember seeing, you know, the Grateful Dead at the Palace Theater at one point. Um, and if they, as long as they can remember seeing it, we'll, we'll, we'll remind them of that in October. As well, That's so. great. We're going to look forward to that. Frank, thank you so much, and thank you for everything you do for entertainment uh, value in Connecticut. Uh, I, I am one uh, who is a recipient of that, and I want to tell you, too, you know, you can tell that you're a caring person. You're always so easy to work with. No, no attitude, uh, which sometimes performers uh, tend to face, uh, and, I, and I just appreciate that. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to Concert Conversations uh, brought to you by the Palace Theater in Waterbury and also our great sponsor, Ion Bank. Frank, thank you so much. And let's have you back on uh, once we start getting deep into your, um, your entertainment calendar. Tom, I appreciate this opportunity. I would be more than happy to come back. I appreciate the nice words. I encourage everybody to kind of mask up, get vaccinated, because we want to see you back in the theater. And I'll be there with a smile, welcoming you in the space. So. We won't be able to tell if you're wearing a mask. But yeah, that's, okay. that's true. <laughs> good, good, I agree point. with you, though. <laughs> Have a great day. All right, thanks.